Thanks for listening. Join us now for Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Now, my bride, Teresa, is so smart at finances. She does the finances in our family, and I really need to learn from her. And so I'm thinking that during the Christmas vacation, we should sit down and I should learn from her. Is that going to happen? Probably not, but it should happen. Valerie Neff Hogan is with us. She's a certified financial planner. She loves to help people like you and me overcome financial obstacles to achieve financial freedom, become more generous, and do more ministry with all that God has entrusted to us. And she has co-authored, co-authored this brand new book called Wise Women Managing Money. I'm curious, when it comes to handling our finances, how important is it as a couple for both of us to be aware of what's going on financially? And if we've never done it that way before, how do you suggest we start? It's super important. I can tell you, um, my mom has a ministry to widows, and they are widows of all ages. And what we see over and over again is the element of surprise on finances does not work out well Mm. uh, for widows, widowers, or really anybody else who is suddenly thrown into managing finances who's not been participating before. So, Uh, That doesn't work very well. And I would just say, start somewhere. Often both spouses do not have the same learning style. So if you're wanting to share the 40th tab of the spreadsheet out, (laughs) your spouse's spirit may have left the body by tab two. (laughs) So you might have to go with the pie chart, but start somewhere. What are some ideas about how to teach our spouse who isn't really in the loop? Yeah, I would say you know, basically start anywhere and learn their style and also kind of their appetite and tolerance for how long and when we're talking about this. Just like if this is a difficult topic for them, maybe there's some family history there, something that's making it harder. Maybe just to learn about that, learn a bit, a little bit of their spouse's background and experience with money and then start with something that's maybe not intimidating, maybe just an overall snapshot of where things are, what you own and what you owe. So you can, you can start small. They can also start with a resource um, like Wise Women Managing Money or another financial resource, preferably that has a biblical worldview mm-hmm. to get started on it. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is that the one who's teaching the other needs to really be sensitive and aware of the other person's learning style. Yeah, definitely. And see their receptivity. And is there any part of it that can bring them some joy? Budgeting is typically not a joy for most. We like to call it a spending plan. Oh, that's Um, better. (laughs) That's more positive. (laughs) Yes, for sure. For sure. And just to have a handle on it, and it may not be fun in the review, But it is life-giving, I think, to just have a handle, knowing what reality is, um, not having that kind of fear factor of the unknown. And just to, to start out, I think, agreeing that it's just good for both spouses to know what's going on. Chances are one spouse is going to be left, you know, having to manage on, on their own anyway. So it's more helpful for them to know what's going on. What do we get wrong or misunderstand when it comes to finances? 
Yeah, I think we can go wrong uh, many ways, but two of the major ones, one on the practical side would be that it's too hard, that we just can't manage it. We might try something and then give up or think it's too complex. You hear the verbiage or the jargon out of the financial industry and just think, I can't understand this. It's not for me. I might not be smart enough. And again, just just give up. For every piece of jargon, there is there's a layman's term and they can be easily understood. And so, as my mentor said, the thing about life is it's so daily. And with, <laughs> with budgeting and finance, it's so daily, just like eating better, exercising more. It's something we have to kind of keep at. And you can do it and can be successful at it. And you don't need to be a Wall Street genius in order to do it. On the spiritual side, I think a big mistake we would make is to lose, forget, or not have the worldview that all we have is God's on loan to us. We came into the world with nothing. We'll leave with nothing. And so these are his resources. So just forgetting to go into it and managing or thinking we own something without asking, Lord, these are your items. These are your resources. What would you like me to do with your stuff? I'm just forgetting that mentality. And it's so easy to do in our culture. Yeah, finances is one of those things, right? Where we feel like, you know, there's the there's the silo of religion, there's the silo of finance, and we tend to kind of feel like the king in that area, but we're not. Yeah, and our culture does not discourage that we're the king really of anything, especially in finances. Let's talk a little bit about year-end giving. I mean, we're at that time of the year. We're going to start to, if we're not thinking about it already, we're going to start thinking about it. And and specifically generosity and how, you know, finances does intermix with becoming like Jesus. It sure does. I mean, he was absolutely generous, is absolutely generous. So it is something we can definitely do to become more like our Savior. And with end of giving, I would just encourage, don't make it an afterthought. It's really the center of what we're celebrating. So one of the ways we can do that is let that be pervasive in our thinking through the holiday season. And let's do giving on purpose. Let's do things on purpose. Think it through. Who would I like to come alongside and be generous to? What organization? How can I be generous with my church? I just think not only devoting some resource to that, but devoting some mental energy to really being thoughtful about it would be a great way to be generous. I love that. I love the give on purpose. That is layman's terms for intentionality with how you spend. That's so good. I recently heard a message and I've come across this passage a lot of times with Jesus and the rich young ruler and the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep all the commandments and And the rich young ruler says, I've done this since my youth. And then Jesus says, you know, you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have to the poor, gain treasure in heaven and follow me. And that's just always convicted me and recently has really convicted me about an area in my life, not money, well, sort of money. We'll say it's in the area of money, but it really convicted me of this place in my heart that, that is reserved for Jesus that there's this thing having to do with money there. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't want to be that rich young ruler walking away sad. I want to follow Jesus. What does it look like to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, gain treasure in heaven 
and follow Jesus? Well, I can't tell you exactly what that looks like because I have not done that. I have not sold everything I, I own and given up all opportunity to follow him. I do believe I've tried to follow, you know, the things that he's prompted me to do and told me to do. That passage, you know, I always kind of had this unsettled feeling about it. Like, boy, that was kind of rough, actually, what, what Jesus was asking of, of him at one part. But he was always getting to the heart of the matter, right? And the heart of the matter is what comes first. And look at what he offered. It was neat because my mentor pointed that out. Look at what he offered him. Come and follow me meant he would have been a disciple. That's a rough passage. I mean, it's just hard. Hard to achieve. But you know what you said about, you know, Jesus just really going to the heart of the issue too. Like with Martha and Mary, he didn't tell, he didn't tell Martha, I don't ever want you to do chores again. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or it was choose the better thing. So yeah, he spoke to the issue of the heart for the person that he was speaking to. Yes. He was always speaking right and directly to the person. If you think about the rich young ruler, the woman at the well, the Pharisees Mm -hmm. he spoke to, he spoke right to them personally. I think what, you know, hits me about that passage so deeply is that my heart is what it is and it can love other things more than it can love Jesus. And I think the only way I've been wrestling through this and I think the only way forward is just that I would have my heart more and more captured by the love of Jesus so that whatever he asks of me, I don't have to give it up. I get to give it up. And I, I want to be there and I want to think that's where I'm at, but Mm -hmm. I know at least that's where I need to head. And it's just to be, to realize that Jesus is the ultimate rich young ruler. He left everything to come for us. And somehow Jesus wants us to reflect that, that kind of love in our lives. And I guess it's recognizing that he gave it all up for us. Well, yeah, and he's not asking us to be him, and he's not asking us to do it in our own strength. Mm -hmm. That's the good news, is that we can ask him, open my heart, show me, remind me how much more precious you are than things. And I think he will, and we can ask him for wisdom, and he will give us that. So the encouraging thing is, we don't need to muster that up. He will give that to us. You know, he will, it's not in our own strength that we just mustered up the will and the the ability to give it all away and, and leave everything behind and follow him. I mean, he takes us through this process, right? And part of that is the beauty of it. He has this plan and process for it. And it is, you know, until we go to heaven. Another thing that I think when it comes to this is that I don't sell everything, you know, give it all away and follow Jesus to get his love, but I surrender it all because he loves me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You consider it all loss, as Paul says, and then also who is the pearl of great price. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think, all about the positioning of what is precious and what is not precious. And that's why it convicts me so much because my heart is what it is and I need the Lord to keep changing it. You know, and it goes back to the the quote that you shared with us too, Valerie, the thing about life is it's so daily. So every morning God's mercies are new and we have the opportunity to fix our eyes on him and say, oh, I want to, I want to love you more today than I did yesterday. You know what I mean? Like a brand new day. Let's do this today together. Right. I believe 
help my disbelief. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he knows that we need him. He knows that we need the Holy Spirit to do that. It's not something we just get better, faster, stronger. Talk a little bit about how our emotions play into our spending habits and the difference between being led by your emotions and being led by logic when it comes to how you spend your money. Yeah, they can really uh, take us for a ride, I would say. And I think that's the right analogy because they can make us come out of the driver's seat when we're doing things on purpose and being intentional with our resources or with God's resources. So when we come out of the driver's seat, uh, we're kind of being whipped around by our emotions, by culture. And so if you think about words like retail therapy, it's really intending that stuff is going to make us feel better. And it's seldom the things that are getting us down. So we might be using resources, money, things to fix a problem that is not rooted in that, to fix a different problem. And so um, emotions like anger can affect how we spend and steward things like sadness, loneliness. Just as you think through the emotions, think through all the different ways that can affect uh, how we're stewarding or not stewarding resources well. So when it comes to emotion, if we were to put this in the Star Trek universe, (laughs) that we need to be more like Spock and not like Kirk. (laughs) Right. Yeah, Spock wasn't too emotional, was he? (laughs) Boy, how do we do that? I don't know, because we're we're not very much made like Spock, but (laughs) we can take a step back when we know we're feeling strong emotions, right? Mm -hmm. If you, you know, you can start by, boy, if I'm feeling a super strong surge of adrenaline for the good or bad, I might want to just put that spending big decision on hold for a bit. I just watched Enola Holmes with my family over the weekend, and there is a quote from there that is phenomenal. Sherlock Holmes says to his little sister, you're being emotional. It's understandable, but it's not necessary. Think about what is. And I'm like, whoa, that is so good. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely applicable here. We're in December. It's Christmas shopping. We're shopping. Everybody's shopping. What's your best financial advice for us as we walk through the next few weeks? All right. I would just go back to doing things on purpose. As you're shopping, I mean... Uh, the retail industry, and again, they're not a nonprofit industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have goals, right? They have targets to meet. But one of those targets are going to be met by getting people to buy things on impulse that they don't really need or want. And are you going to be buying something for somebody that they don't need or want? <laughs> so I just think that intentionality is, go- is such a friend of the budget. The friends of the budget are intentionality and contentment. So just going through with an eye to, boy, that's a beautiful display. That's lovely. It's meant to get my attention. It's meant to get me to spend on impulse. Okay, but I'm not going to do it because I have a plan and I'm going to be intentional and I'm going to steward these resources well. You said the two friends of the budget are intentionality and contentment. Can you give me a little bit on contentment? Oh, yeah. I mean, it is 
uh, you know, and not that the advertising industry is bad, but they have a goal and that is to get us to purchase and to maybe want things that we don't start out wanting. So we really need to just be aware of being centered on what God has given us, what he's created us to do, to be centered on God and the contentment in that who we are in him. And I think that's going to solve a lot of not only the emotional bu- budget busters, but a lot a lot of poor stewardship just to be centered on the contentment that uh, when we look at our car, when we look at our home, you know, this is God's provision for me right now. And this is what he wants for me. And when he wants something else for me, you know, that door will open. Uh, but just having contentment with what we have is going to cut a lot of maybe unwise decisions. Valerie, you've helped so many people with their finances. Are there any commonalities that we kind of all share when it comes to our relationship with money? I think there's a lot of guilt and shame around finances. And I would just encourage folks, you can do it. You can do it. You can be a great steward. It's a step-by-step process. And, you know, I can just say I have never met somebody in my industry ever that has come up to me and said, you know, I'm 100% crushing my budget and 100% crushing all my investments all the time. <laughs> and if they did, I would, I would doubt the veracity of that statement very much. Yeah. So it's something that I think most folks think that everybody's doing a better job than we are. And so just take courage, go after it step by step, ask the Lord for wisdom follow along the basic principles. The Bible is the best book of wisdom on money and everything else. Thanks for listening to Barry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.